0: Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And tonight's show should prove very interesting because of the diversity of information that I'm going to share with you, It's absolutely uncanny how before the show, I'm always wondering what am I going to say, and things just come in boom, boom, boom from outside, that, that day or the day before. And then I don't have any questions. It's the only question of how much time to give to each one or how to present it. But uh, it's Mamish Hashkah brought this everything that falls into place. So I'm going to start with something that took place this morning. But first, let me give you a rundown of what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Challah connection. We're going to talk about a certain confusion of a symbol and a certain Hashkah, somebody down in Florida. We're going to talk about cashews and and the white coast of Africa, and we're going to call, talk about a non-Jew's attitude, uh, understanding of kosher. Very interesting articles. Um, we we'll talk about the olive oil. Some, some, I, some give you, I'm going to give you two tips today on olive oils. I may have done it before, I'm not sure, but I'm going to mention it today. Uh, we'll talk again on Poland very briefly, uh, and then um, maybe we'll do that out of order, and we're going to discuss cheeses that seem to be the same, whether it's Chalb or, Ch- or Chalb Akka, uh, whether it's Chalb Israel or not, Chalb And uh, the confusion of names, in other words, one company owns a number of brands of cheeses and makes Chalb not Chalb Israel, the packaging, etc. We're going to be talking about fertilized eggs, which is a chiddish. And, then, and that's, that should be enough. Uh, we am sure we'll find something else to talk about. In any event, we're going to start now with a story that came out this morning with me. Not a story, actually. It's a continuation. A few weeks ago on this show, I announced, I think you've even heard it before anybody else, but I put it up on my website, uh, that we had an issue with a company called Chala Connection, which is a uh, gift basket company that was putting out gift baskets that supposedly were kosher, Uh, kosher gift baskets, and they were coming without any symbols of any identification of kosher at all on the products that were in the baskets. Uh, This, unfortunately, uh, goes on with a number of companies, and we have mentioned them over the time, and unfortunately, they're probably more and more as we go on, and anybody who receives a a gift basket, uh, if it's not from an obviously from company uh, that's been doing business for years and you know them, then you really ought to check it out a little bit, just at least for, look for the symbols on it, make sure that everything looks appropriate to you um remember if they they're a gift pass company they're trying to save money on the i mean that's how they make money so, so for example, they so if we know they buy bulk and they break it up, so they're going to put it into your little plastic or whatever the, how they're presenting it to you so if the label says oh, OU, OK, cups, case, okay K, case K, whatever it is." Does that label, is that an original label or something that was put on by the packer at the gift co- basket company? Usually it, it may be the gift basket company. So then if there's no, in the inside, there are no individual pieces with the symbol on it, then uh, you you know you don't have any guarantee. It's only the company's good wishes that, that, that makes it kosher. This particular company, the woman who come to complained to us had... Order, actually had received a gift um, that somebody had ordered for her and um, and it came with no hashkachas on the on the things inside and then she called up the complaint and and they uh, the, 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 the customer service department said we'll ship you another one and they shipped another one to her and it was the same exact thing and then and in the package of that came the second time it's uh, there was a little note in there asking the packer, the one who packs the basket for her, to put in kosher certified items. That sort of means that they also use non-kosher certified items. So it was uh, not, not an appropriate situation. We put this up on our website and we tell people not to use it. So this morning a gentleman called me up and he said, I own the company. Not that he owns it currently, uh, he's running it day to day, but that his company is taking over this chalet connection. Uh, very nice. And... Um, It's going to be under one of the major hashkochas in America, one of the five big ones. Very nice, and not only that, but we're going to make it. Means that he he says we're going to make it um, that there's a hashkocha across the board, meaning that any time you order any package from them, it will be under this national hashkocha, which is one of the big five. It's a reliable organization, and. and and, and uh, you and the reason I don't mention the name is because uh, until it's done I don't want to claim it, that they're doing anything. Uh, one Haskalah will be on top of everything, meaning that whether the package comes from the oU or Kavke uh, CRC uh, whatever I missed one uh, the OK, um, so it doesn't make a difference. It will be supervised on the top from this. Conscious organization, meaning that they're making sure that everything came from a proper place. Not that they actually made it, but they're going to make uh, that it came from a proper hashgacha, which would be very nice. It's on the whole company, it's beautiful. It's the firm owner, and all, and the hashgacha across the board for everything. He got complete control. That sounds fantastic. So I said to the gentleman, I said, let me ask you a question. If I order right now from Cloud Connection, will I get a package that comes with coach certification on it? So said, probably not. So I told them that that until that time, I can't remove my recommendation to people not to use it. At that time, when you sort of get the certification, I said, I'll be the biggest promoter. I'll definitely help you, and you will, et cetera, et cetera. But right now I can't do anything else but tell people not to use it because right now they shouldn't be using it and he's answered me the following words he said you're doing your job and I'm doing my job meaning he's going to try to straighten it out but as of now he admits it's not appropriate it was an interesting conversation we had we you know there wasn't any uh vo- voice raising or any, commu- any miscommunication i think he just wanted me to know where it's headed. He didn't ask me to change anything, and I hope uh, that it will be a short time when it straightens out. So if in the future you hear Chalek Connection is good, and you, even if you hear I said it, it could very well be true. But not today, um, maybe someday in the future. Right now, unfortunately, I'm st- still recommending that no one uses Chalek Connection until such time as it's straightened out. Another interesting thing happened to me, I got a call, this was yesterday, and sometimes you get a call and a person uh, is in such a rush, and this fellow was in such a rush, and he was talking to somebody else while he's talking to me, which made it very inconvenient, and he's asking me lickety-split about a certain Hashkocha, and and, and gave me the name of the company, uh, which is, I think, a restaurant, and down there in Florida... And uh, he's describing a symbol that doesn't exist. He's saying it's this letter on top of the same letter. In other words, let's say the letter was Q, Q on Q, or Z on Z, or whatever letter it was on top of another one. I said, there's not really any. Actually, there's there's a BBS. Maybe there's one with a BB. But, I mean, basically, this thing doesn't really exist where he's described it. So i I'm just about and I, and he asked me if he texts I don't take texting. I only do emails so i I said to him, you know we can you can email me, but let me just check out the name so I took the name, went online um i went when I googled it, I got a product and I took a uh, i I took some of the pro, one of the products or something, and I wanted to see which hushkoch is on it, so sure enough, I saw the hushkoch on it and definitely. It was not what he described. It was, it really did look like he thought. It looked like one letter on another letter. But I know these people, and I know the Shkachas. So I realized it's two letters underneath that look like one when you look at it quickly. In fact, it's almost impossible to tell what those two letters are underneath. And I'd say probably 10 out of 10 people would say just like he did. It's the same letter on top of each other. So uh, he didn't have my book. He didn't know anything about it. And he, uh, it, and, and he's calling up trying try to get information. And he, must go, he probably wants to go there right now. And the other person is probably hurrying him up to go there. And I told him, you have to relax a little bit. <laughs> Let me figure it out. So I told him in the end, I tell him, listen, you shouldn't go there. And you should understand that there's no mashkiach the place is open on Shabbos. a non Jew. And that's it. He understood right away. And that was the end of the story. But, but the interesting part to me personally was the fact that uh, the symbol was very difficult to describe. Sometimes it's hard to describe because it's a little this way, a little that way. But here, it was just one letter that's on top of two letters. And it looked like one letter on top of itself. So well, can I tell you, folks, you have to re really, really look very carefully. You have to use my, um, my uh, book, the Kosher Supervision Guide. The new one's going to be out in about a few weeks. So that's the be- only way I'm going to tell you. Figure it out. Um, also, don't be in a rush. <laughs> that's the other the other message. Okay, the next topic is was interesting. I don't have the time to go through it, but it was very interesting. The ACO organization, the Association of Kosher's Organizations, had their annual... Um, th- their annual program, which was uh, a, a, get- a conference for all the Kashvis organizations. Now, normally they have it in the OU office in Manhattan, and they can get I don't know, close to a hundred people there. Um, maybe less, but but close to a hundred people. And over the time, maybe more, but but close to a hundred people. And it, it, I don't remember the exact numbers. And this time they had a virtual because we couldn't really. Get everybody together would be a very very difficult thing. This is COVID uh, time, and uh, so w- w- what they did was they had and uh, they had it zoomed, and I and I, when I went on, I was amazed they had like 190 different participants. Now you have to understand some of the people had multiple people in the room, so when they're watching the computer, so you might have had a few over hundred and over two hundred people watching, which means at least a 50%, I mean 100% increase in the number of people that were, that were participating, that's, that's my guess, I didn't check the numbers with, the, with them, but it sounds to me like it was like a 100% increase in terms of numbers. Didn't like it sitting around, in the, the, way, the way it worked, I didn't like it very much, but they did work very hard at it, with a tremendous effort, a very high quality, included a lot of videos. And uh, you know you you could ask questions. One of the highlights of it, to me personally, with the questions, you know, when you see, when you go to a conference or something like that, the person next to you really was upset, or he really was impacted him what to him what the speaker just said two minutes ago, or he didn't catch something. So he leans over to you and whispers in your ear, X Y Z, which is you know great loin or a kasha they has or why didn't they say this whatever he sticks it in your ear and you heard it from him but you, then nobody else heard it from him but with the zoom thing you can send a little note to all of the people that doesn't take away from the actual uh, speaker it comes a little line on the bottom a little uh, little box on the bottom and you make your point, whatever it is, a question, an answer. Phenomenal. That was a very high point for me because they they had very pithy comments, very good questions. And, uh, you know, the things that were taken up and not taken up But the, and reactions, you were able to see the reactions of dozens of people. Whereas when you go to a program like this, you may hear from one or two people one or two comments. Here you are able to see dozens of comments and ideas. Very interesting. Very intriguing. And, and, and it was high quality. Everybody did a good job. One of the most interesting speakers was a Rabbi Moore. And you'll see in a second why I'm bringing it up. Rabbi Moore is the one who runs the Kashvist organization, Igud Badatz HaRabanim, which is the organization that was run um, by uh, uh, Diane Westheim Zeichat Tzadik for Kaddish uh, Lev and uh, Rabbi Westheim was uh, a major force in Kashos for many many years and a Talmud Chalchim Talmud Chalchemaltzim. I, I had communication with him only one, over one issue and he sent me what I would call a tshuva, it was gigantic um, and uh, information information uh, why his point is based upon with sources and Rayas was extraordinarily interesting in any event uh, this is real, this organization that was with the backbone of, with Rabbi uh, of, of, of the Day in West Time, um, who recently passed away. Uh, we wrote it up in the Cautious Magazine, but this Dr. Rabbi Moore has been running the show for for a couple of years or a number of years already, and um, he was sharing with us some of the uh, insights that he had in cashews. So cashews is not an exciting topic I me. Mean, I don't ever eat them. But uh, the the presentation was great. Aside from the fact that he had a video of everything, he explained it and talked slowly and clearly. You could not miss a word. It was beautiful. In any event, there's only one line I want to share with you. Although there's a lot of information, I don't think you're interested in what what I learned that day. This one thing you would be interested in. Rabbi Moore has been a number of times in the place where they... Produce cashews. It's a combination. They 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 do it in they do it in, uh, they, they do it in uh, Vietnam and they do it in other places. But the main place is the Ivory Coast, West Africa. Now he was there a number of times, and he was in all these places would produce it, India and uh, and and and. and uh, In Vietnam and and, and the the Ivory Coast of of West Africa. So he described to us what it was like on the Ivory Coast. He said they have something there that kills 10 times as many people as COVID-19 kills. Malaria. It's a tremendous problem in that area. Malaria kills ten times as many people. And he's visiting this country, and he's the head of this organization or the main person, whatever, and he has to go there a number of times. And he told me told us that what they did is at night they had to sleep with nets on their heads and their bodies, that nothing should be exposed, otherwise the mosquitoes could get them. And the mosquitoes in that area carry malaria. So I just thought the idea of a, not just a mashkiach, some kind of lower-level person, but somebody who was really running a kashrus organization, who's on a higher level, has a, you know, has a nice job, and, and he would go, and he does go, to places like that, and physically put himself in danger. I, I think we really don't appreciate our Mashkichim and the rabbanim involved. I'm not so sure what happened uh, with. Um, Rob Daniel Oliva this year, I really don't know if he got COVID. I really don't know what the story was. Maybe I just forgot already. Uh, but he passed away, and he it was in the beginning of COVID. So I don't know. I think I think it was COVID. And you wonder if he took trips to out of the country at that particular time. And you wonder, when these people go, they know that there's some kind of danger. Maybe they don't think it's high level. Maybe they think HaKadosh Baruch is going to help them that feel are strong and their moon is strong but be that as it may i think they're all putting themselves out for us and i think we need a little more that, that that's uh, that's the bottom line of that so let me go on to the next one which is to share with you uh, an unbiased non-jews understanding of kosher maybe it's not exciting to you and i'm only going to read little pieces he had three articles. The name of the gentleman is Greg Bloom. He's the owner of U.S. Protein, which is a distributor of premium meats. And in the younger years, he was working in the places that they were doing kosher, and that's, that's where he got his information from. He had a series in... back. He heard it up in, I think it was in November. He already had a series... It was in October, even. He had a series called Faith and Foods, how beliefs shape food choices. You know, with faith meaning you know, like a religion. So kosher was one of them, and halal was one of them, and, and then he was talking about general about it, but it's all about, you'll see in a second, it's really all about kosher. So This is what he said. Um, As an adult, for seven years in a beef fabrication plant that prese- uh, I worked for seven years in a beef fabrication plant that processed hanging beef sides into sub steaks, and grinds. Don't ask me what that is. Most of the beef we sourced was slaughtered in a kosher plant. So we expanded into kosher beef production with Israeli-trained rabbis working alongside our meat cutters. The rabbis came to our plant four days a week, and I had many chances to talk to some, with some of them about their beliefs, convictions, and training. We also started processing halal beef, and and I worked closely with this halal certification agency to set up a halal program. Producing and selling kosher and halal afforded me uh, a a broad exposure to people of different faiths, and I hold faith convictions of my own. We're not going to discuss his convictions. (laughs) Obviously, I believe he's uh, a Christian. I discovered that the rich, long-held traditions of eating meat including slaughtering and processing methodologies, is critically important for many people of faith. By selling kosher beef and halal beef to customers of faith that I otherwise never would have met, I've begun to learn not only how their convictions prescribe the proper handling of meat, but why. So he's going to describe a little bit. This is a real good look at a non-Jew's look. At the kosher meat business i'll examine the position of a growing number of people some religious and some secular that eating meat is immoral and unethical that's the other group you know the the group that's trying to get away with the knockout some quietly refrain from eating meat because of personal sensitivities or because it bothers their consciousness but others feel compelled to more loudly advocate that all consumers should discontinue eating meat on moral grounds and feel justified in attempting to impose their convictions on others. It's obviously a very different world now than it was in the 1970s and 1980s when I was growing up on the farm. Back then, no one seemed to challenge the ethics of eating meat. Today, polarizing belief systems complicate the landscape in a way, in ways that are hard to predict. You bet you. Okay, let's go. Next one. There are over a thousand kosher, uh, uh, kosher agencies that certify kosher food items. He doesn't know that it's over 1,400. It's probably 1,500 now. But only a handful work with kosher meat processing. In other words, of the hashkochos in the world, only a small amount actually do Shechita. They'll sell meat. They'll produce meat products. They may even make, a, uh, they may make salamis. But do they do Shechita? Not too many places do Shechita. Not too many rabbis. Not too many Hashgachas do shchita. Uh Kosher certified meats come from animals that have cloven hooves and chew their cud and most commonly include beef, lamb, and goats. They also certify a poultry and some certain types of fish with fins and scales. The kosher process includes a rabbi examining the animals while they're alive for any defects. And that's something that everybody should know. I don't think all of you know that, that they they check the animals when they're alive to make sure that they look healthy and that there's nothing visible on the outside that would give away some kind of sickness inside. Slaughter is, befo- in, in, in the old days, they were very careful to make the chicken walk four amos, six feet or eight feet before they slaughtered it. So they'd take a chicken, put him down, and then let him walk a little bit, and then you'd pick him up and they reshech them. Today it's almost impractical. There's one rabbi, one, uh, he is a rabbi, I think, but there's one there's one shchita one, one that does that still. It's a very small shchita, very high level, and very expensive, and this shrit, this uh, the rabbi, does have them walk the four almost, because he, he's used to the old style, and he, and he can get away with it, but, but in the commercial situations, the, the big commercial situations, it's not, uh, it's not practical. That, so he's saying that uh, slaughter is performed by a rabbi who's been trained and authorized by a rabbinical authority, after slaughter, the animal's cavity is inspected for defects. They say the cavity, but they, uh, they open it up and they, and they take a look. I'm talking about an animal. There's a certain methodology that's used to examine it, and also from the government, they also examine the health purposes at the same time. They have the mashkichim and the and the, vet, uh, the, uh, uh, the government inspectors working in the same little area, one one before the other, and whatever it is, and they have a certain setup. And uh, it's 100% inspected by both. Uh, if any... Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. One second. Also, especially the animal's lungs are observed. If any post-slaughter defects are found in the cavity inspection, the meat is rejected as kosher. This is all I'm still reading from uh, Mr. Bloom, Greg Bloom, and I'm now, we're probably into the third article now already. Rabbinical traditions have been practiced for over 2,000 years. It's more than that, but okay, listen, what do you want them to do? Um, for, uh, further, require, uh, further require that kosher meat be soaked, salted, and rinsed to remove as much blood as possible from the meat. Our understanding is that the malicha process, where we salt the meat, is actually goes all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's what we have, a Kabbalah. We have a tradition that it works. There is no actual date on it, you know. That's something that, that we, we all received, the Kabbalah. And, uh, and and any question you have, you we go back to that, that's a, that's a Kabbalah. Just like we have you know, with the tefillin, how our fillin look, etc., and Kabbalah, the, that, we call it, that, that seems to be, for many things, that's as far back as we can go. It's an unknown uh, time frame after that. Um, so he says like this, The salt must not be as fine-grained as sugar, because it would dissolve and fail to draw out the blood. Nor should it be too coarse, as it would fall off the meat. Kosher beef chucks, ribs, and briskets are pink in color because of this soaking, salting, and rinsing process. So actually, our meat looks good. Here in the U.S., only the forequarter, quarter is the front part, of the beef animal is processed, the chucks, briskets, and the ribs. That's what, we, that's what we end up eating. At a beef plant I worked in, I asked the rabbis why this is, and I have heard two different answers from different rabbis. If you search the web, you'll find the same two answers in rabbinical diet blogs and articles. The chucks and ribs—he's giving you the answers now. The chucks and ribs are far easier to devein than the loins and the rounds. In other words, what's in the hind quarter of the meat is hard to devein. As I mentioned, I think last week, my grand—my great grandfather was a He Used to take out the gid hanoshe from the back of the meat. In those days in Europe, they didn't throw anything out, they didn't get it sold to a goy, and they, they, uh, they, they found a way to use as much as they could of it, and therefore they took out the gira uh, nasha, the and they sold, uh, they removed the chaylev, and they, and they sold the animal in total, whatever was left. That was what was done in Europe. Uh, in America, we, 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 this is a process that saves us a lot of money, because the goyim will take the hind quarter, we don't have to cut it up, which costs a lot of money and makes it a little bit unattractive, the meat. So this way, it's it's naturally cut into four quarters, you know, four quarters, and there's a four-quarter front, and the right and left, and then the back, there's right and left. So you actually have, it's built into the system, actually, to do it this way in easy fashion, and that is determines how the meat is is sold to the to the non Jews, etc. And this way we avoid a lot of problems. But in Europe, in the old days, and still today, you can buy hind quarter meat. There are three places in America you can get it. I know nothing about the quality of those mashkichim who do it. I just know that they claim some of them are two. I think two of the three are Svardim, The other one I think is a Hasidisha, And I think they send they sell their own meat, which means they do the shrita, and the malicha, and the dita da da everything themselves with no hashgacha on top of them so it, it, it's not what i would call a good idea even though you think you're getting something that's better or you're tasting some meat you never tasted in your life but you don't really have independent hashgacha which is i think is the first thing you have to worry about because when somebody could lose $1000 or $500 he thinks twice when somebody's giving the hashkocha, he doesn't have to think. Throw that out. That's, it's a very different uh, kind of uh, approach. So that's one answer to the question of why we use the forequarters, not the hindquarters. Because in the back, you have to devein, and also the chaylev. He doesn't know much about that. You have to take off the chaylev, which uh, takes a lot of effort. That's found on different parts of the meat. Beef is affordable and readily available here in the U.S., so it's cost-efficient to just devein and consume from the front half. The hind—that's the hind, one thing. The other answer is the hind quarter is unclean, citing the story of their patriarch Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis th- chapter 32. His hip—Jacob's you know, hip—is dislocated and therefore we don't eat it anymore, so the hindquarter is thus considered unclean and unfit for consumption. I don't, I don't know what confused the man. He, it probably was the way it was explained to him. They're really the same thing, and really we can remove it, and of course we did remove it. I, I remember, I mentioned it I think here before, that uh, Rabbi Belsky, Zechatzad of Akadish Kaddish when at one point he came out, he told the OU, we can make, kosher venison use the hindquarter for the kosher venison the venison meaning deer meat it's very expensive and people were buying this in the fancy restaurants in Manhattan and this way he said I can give you the I can get you the hind quarter and we're not doing it regular meats but we could do it in this one. Why? Because deer is a what we call a chaya, a wild animal. And wild animal does not have the din of uh, the khalif the So it makes the whole thing easier. And as far as removing the 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 he says, I'll teach you how to do it. I, I know how. And so therefore he set up a system in the OU, and they did it, and they, they sold, they probably still do it, they sell venison, which is deer meat, and they're, they're selling it in the fancy restaurants. So uh, no other hashkocha did it. No other school before, I don't know if it's since then, but no, other, no one did it, and the OU didn't do it for 40, 50 years, but Rabbi Belsky introduced it, that that, we, we, that in deer, he was going to go ahead and uh, tackle the git nasha, and, and, um, and, and this, this this American system of Kashrus that we don't eat the, the hind quarter has changed. But the only three, I only know three butchers, And not butchers. They're on the the internet, you get them. And there's like these two people, these three people that I mentioned, who do their own shrita and their own, uh, and they they do everything themselves the nikur, the shrita, the the malicha, and they give themselves lashkacha. All those three people are the only ones who are doing it for meat. Uh, The OU is doing it only for this venison, as far as I know. Okay. So that said, this fellow, fellow Greg over here is confused. He thinks it's called unclean. It's not true un- unclean. He's not allowed to eat that particular thing, and it can be removed. In fact, it's, it's, it's right there. It, it, it says in the Torah, you, you cannot eat the in inasha. It doesn't mean you can't eat the, the quarter of the meat. So I, I obviously didn't know. I don't think he knew what we're talking about now. Okay, now he talks about glot kosher. There are two main types of kosher beef standards, regular kosher and glot kosher at the plant i worked in the beef carcasses i purchased were from a glatt kosher certified plant that was also halal certified the beef fronts the one in the front the heart front the the forequarters that qualified as kosher was sold as such and the non qualifying fronts the ones we call traif and all the beef hinds that's the hind quarters were sold as halal so that was built in system there that the halal could take the Jewish shrita because the shrita was performed properly, the technical problem with the treifer doesn't affect halal. And halal always used to buy kosher meat. People who, who were Muslims who used to buy kosher meat. When they couldn't get their own halal, before hadal even existed, they always buy them kosher meat. So now they can still buy kosher meat if they want to, and so they buy this, it's a little cheaper for them, and uh, so they take it. And that's, uh, that's what he was doing in that plant. In this way, beef was providing a unique cooperative opportunity for Jewish and Muslim programs and people to work together for programs that provide excellent quality beef cuts for their respective programs. What he's telling you is something that I've mentioned here many times. When it comes to the world of shrite and halal, Jews work with the Muslims. That's a fact. Just like, you know, you see sometimes the Jews work with the Christians for, let's say, for the yeshiva systems. They work with the Catholic Church for the yeshiva system. They get money and this new problem that has happened in New York State where they're trying to destroy the, uh, the yeshiva system and take away our right to decide what we should teach and when. So the, for that, the the Aguda joined together with the Catholic Church to, for their fight. When it comes to other things, a lot of times Jews join with non-Jews. In particular, when it comes to Shrita issues, the Jews and the and the Muslims work together. There's a secret group which I belong to, which is uh, I mean no one knows the names of anybody there. I mean I know the names, but it's not publicized or printed anywhere. You'll never find it, and. these uh, hundred or more of us, um, we share information, and uh, because the same problems exist, if you you read what's going on in Europe, when they're trying to shut down Shrita and Halal, that's usually to do them together because they they want stunning. And we don't want stunning, and they don't want stunning. So there's a a common ground, and we work together. that's an upset. I don't want to go into anything, any, po- pull up, any politics. Uh, so that's the, uh, so therefore that's one of the things that Greg is pointing out here. Now he has the last, this is the last question from him, and that is, why is kosher meat so expensive? And he gives the answer. The process is slow. Rabbis refuse to be rushed, and they take their time inspecting the animals pre- and post-slaughter. And he's a man who knows it. He would be on our back if, if he could, but he can't. And one of the interesting things, I mean, you don't know anything about it, but I, I, I saw it up close, really up close, was the challenge of dealing with the owners, meaning that in the Shrita, the owner likes to mix in, or would, or would like to mix in, and would like to mix into the and why they're going so slow. Why did they do this? Why can't they do that? Because he wants to manage the men. But in reality, we want kosher to be kosher. So we're working at different odds and he would like to add on more shechting per hour and we would like to lower it or at least keep it to where it is. So there's different um, goals that the, that the ownership has and the kosherist agencies have and it creates a little tension so he says this is this fellow uh, greg that uh kosher meat is so expensive because the process is slow the rabbis refused to be rushed and take their time inspecting animals pre and post slaughter and for glatt kosher beef only 35 to 40 percent of the meat inspected is approved so this mr bloom owner of. US protein very interesting I wanted to get him uh, to do something with me but he didn't respond maybe someday I'll get him it was a very interesting uh, gentleman and just uh, as I, I thought it was cute because it gives you a little bit of a non-jewish understanding of something of course he misunderstood the two answers he heard were actually the same nishkefa pretty much he got the message and I liked it because I found that he he appreciated the kosher and he appreciated the rabbis, and, and he really answered that last question. It's worth everything to hear the answer he gave. Why kosher meat is so expensive? He's telling you, you gotta have it expensive if that process is so slow, you, you have no way in. If you're only taking 35, 40% of the meat that you did, that you did the street and the inspection, you paid for all the street and all the inspection and everything else under the sun, and now you, you, you're questioning why it costs so much money. He has no problem understanding it. We had the problem, because we think, you know, oh, Rabbi's all oh, everyone's on the take, You're gonna come on, not fair, but what's reality? Greg <laughs> understood, that understands that this is the reality. I just want to share with you this. I don't know if I, I did it before. It could be I did, and if I did, don't, you don't have to pay attention to me. I'm giving you two names. You can scribble it down, scribble it down. If you don't, a, you'll get at least maybe in somehow in the brain. There are two olive oil associations. One is called North America Olive Oil Association. North American Olive Oil Association. It's the letters are N A O O A. Yeah, if you if you'll see it, hopefully you'll remember North American. Olive Oil Association, and the other one is called California Olive Oil Council. California Olive Oil Council. These are two organizations that guarantee that the, the uh, olive oils that are being used, that they that, that have that symbol, are bona fide. That's a big deal, because we've heard so much about... Uh, mixing things in and uh, utilizing it like so you can even fake the whole thing out completely by using other oils and a little bit of taste of the olive oil in thrown in there you could do a lot of stuff to, to uh, cheap, cheapen the cost of the product and misrepresent something the way it is so if, for example when it says that this is uh, extra virgin olive oil a lot of times it's not this is uh, this is olive oil sometimes it's really a vegetable oil and they just put some flavoring in there so you can get away with a lot with these olive oils it's a, it's a sad thing the, the, the government knows it the secular world knows it um, and we sort of feel well it has a hashgacha. but even the hashkochas told me it's a tough game so he, this or, these organizations go a step beyond and they try to ensure it doesn't cost you any more if they try to ensure that these that the uh, the company is giving you what it claims on the on the outside. And by the way, they test many times and they fail. So this is an organi- These organizations are testing and making sure that we had what it said says on the label. That's what you're getting. So you will find these two organizations: the N A O O A, North American Olive Oil Association, or the California Olive Oil Council. You'll see a round symbol of them on many different olive oil companies famous ones Colavita, Goya, famous companies and if, if you want that you maybe you're looking specific, that's your decision but if you want to know that the product is really good so if it has one of these then that's an extra stamp of approval and it means that you're getting what it says it is, maybe you're getting kosher it's not what it says it is let me just spend... I'll, I'll put Poland at the end so we'll not spend too much time on the Poland, even though it's important. I came to this... This I'm, I'm reading something. I can tell you who said it. I'll give you an idea what it is. I, I don't tell you that I know any more than what I'm reading here, but it was put out by a gentleman named Rabbi Nissen Zaibel, and it... Uh, it came, came back and it came out se- September 22nd. It's a, a WhatsApp thing that was sent to me, which I thought was very interesting. So it's just open your eyes and you don't have to accept everything is true because I do not know, uh, I don't know firsthand all the information, but I do know that it makes a lot of sense. So listen to it a second. Rabbi Zaibel. He's talking about how the same company can boost Chal of Yisrael and non-Chal of Yisrael cheeses. Okay? Most of the companies do have different labels and brand names to differentiate between the Chal of Yisrael and non-Chal of Yisrael cheeses. They try to make a different brand name. Not to say this is Chal of Yisrael, but to make sure that it's a different whole name. Maybe the same company, but they try to make a different name. However, this is key, many times the colors the fonts and the general style of the designs are similar enough that many people have been led to mistakenly confuse the two and assume that a non-Chol of Israel cheese was really the Chol of Israel kind. That is sad. You understand what we're saying here? Many people, he says. I'll, say, he's, I'll tell you. He does. He does say, many people. Have been mistakenly confused, and they assume that that the, the non of Israel is Chalv Israel. Now, it doesn't say Chalv Israel. He's not saying it says that. But you got confused when you're looking at a package. You're in the store. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. That's, that's how. most of us are, and especially if kids helping you. But most most of us are caught off guard, and we're in a rush. And sometimes they put the thing here, and when you were used to it, finding the, the, my, my kind there, and whatever. So, we're going to give some names. Now, I can't verify anything on this, but I think you all know it's true anyway. The brands of uh, cheeses, Migdal, Ha'olam, and Miller's, are from the same company. And they produce cheeses with different brand names and labels. And I'm telling you, they are different. The brand names and labels HaOlam, Nillers, Migdal. I mean, you know, you know those names already. HaOlam is the only one that is at that Chal of Israel. Migdal and Millers are not labels, are not Chal of Israel. Now, they, here's what he his concern is. I don't want to make a big deal about it because I love the, I love the company, and I, I feel that uh, we all owe them a tremendous hakaras uh, to. Uh, 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 uh since the packaging of Miller's or Migdal often may have similarity to the Ha'olam packages. See, that's where he's right. There can definitely be confusion for one not paying proper attention or for one who doesn't know the difference between them. One needs to be careful to check the wording to make sure the product explicitly says Chal of Israel" on it. I think, I, remember, I know where they put it in the store. I've been in many stores. <laughs> And they put them right next to each other. And yes, you could mix it up. And then you remember what back shopping is, where somebody puts something back um, and it ends up in the wrong place. So it could be the store owner. The store people have to put it back, but very often the guy himself—he bought something and he, he's at the cash register. He doesn't want it. <laughs> One i gonna—I'll put it right back. You know, and I'll come. I'll be back in a minute. Don't, don't give away my spot. And then he, and he runs to the back, puts so the thing on on the rack there, and runs away to the front. He might have put it on the wrong hook, and it it, it could easily be that you know um, when you're taking off. Uh, sometimes people even take, you know, those little metal things that they stick it, the little hole they have, and they stick the cheeses on that metal rod. So let's say you want, I want four of these cheeses. I like this cheese. I'll take four. So in the middle, number two or number three is, is the non Chloe Yisrael. Because he was in a rush to get out to the front of the door. So that's a that's a typical scenario, and if they look very similar, person is really caught off guard, especially in their own house. They're not looking for is it Chal of Israel, not Chal of Israel. I mean, he went shopping already. Of course, you buy Chal of Israel. Come on, and and so that that's what, the, and it's very upsetting, very upsetting to anybody if they, it happens to them. Okay, next, uh, another company is natural and kosher. They have cheeses that are Chal of Israel, the same company and the brand and as as the brand Le Petit Fermise, which is not Israel, And it's true, they have different packaging and different names, but they look similar due to their font, design, and style. And many people, this is what this rabbi is reporting, many people have confused the two. Now, the name is different, and it's this and that, but he says they're so similar... They, they don't want it to be similar, but they don't realize that they're making them so similar. Um, also, <laughs> he points out that many the OK certifies many cheeses that are not of Israel. A dairy product under the OK needs to be specifically say Chav Israel in order to confirm that it is Chav Israel. The brand Stark, which is Chav Israel and Oneg, is not of Israel. It's the same company. And again, they look similar and only stock is of Yisrael. Now, we're not saying anybody's doing anything wrong, we're just saying, be careful. Then there's a company called the Cheese Guide. I don't know if originally that company was, coach called Certified or whatever it is, but the, the, it is now. I see it has an OU, and some of them are of Yisrael and some of them are not, and you have to watch the wording on each to say that it's of Yisrael, otherwise it's not. Um, it's always gonna say OU or OUD. If something they have, they have a couple they have some uh, non they have some non-dairy products, but it's like OU or OUD. But when you see the D, you got to see the Yisrael. Spring Valley is the name of a company. They have cheese blints at Yisrael and non Yisrael. So you gotta watch out for Spring Valley also. This is just an a, you know, with a WhatsApp, WhatsApp, you know, and people should be aware of it, I thought it was helpful. Uh, we go on, oh, time is moving here. I'm gonna do the eggs, and if we finish the eggs, we'll get the poem, if we can. You can't finish the eggs. The eggs is an interesting story. I don't have enough information to be able to help you with it. But f- first let me explain what the question is, and why it affects us, and how it affects us, and then we'll be able to discuss a little more about what really is happening. For years and years and years and years, we, we we were under the impression that our eggs are not fertilized, which means you go to the store, you buy them eggs from the in the store. These are eggs the chicken lays eggs every single day, and uh, you you don't have to do anything to the chicken. Doesn't have nothing. Doesn't have to see a rooster its whole its whole life, as long as it producing eggs, it keeps producing and producing and producing every day. Those eggs can never become chickens, so technically. Our eggs should not be a problem with bloodstrupping. And yet we do, we all machmir and we say, this egg is bloodstrupping. We see something in there. So it's probably not really blood. Our minig is to throw it away because potentially it might be. So for example, out of the millions of eggs that are produced, a lot of them come, I mean, some of them come from companies where they do produce fertilized eggs. They do have turk. Uh, I'm sorry, roosters on that farm, and they do are making fertilized eggs. In which case, those the eggs you might got might have technically might have come from there. So this is really always uh, in the background a potential, and therefore our minig is to throw away the egg. Why the whole egg? Oh, that's a, the story you can promotion Moshe Feinstein seems machmir like that. But that's basically where most of us are at. But what if you purchased eggs that are really fertilized? There was a rooster involved, and the chicken that is producing your eggs had come in contact with the with the rooster and for the next few weeks that 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 uh, that, 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 that the hen might be producing eggs that could produce chickens. Now today there's a whole market, tremendous market to produce fertilized eggs because people wanted to produce chickens and this is the way you do it, hatch the eggs. So you can buy eggs that are fertilized and, produce, and then can produce your own chickens from that. And there's a tremendous demand for this today. And also, in the wild, uh, you know, when, they, uh, when the, 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 the eggs that are, that, that, are that, that are not wild, but they're grown, uh, you know, with uh, free range, and organic, sometimes those eggs will be fertilized eggs because they're on farms which have roosters, and they're fine with the idea. So if that's what's going on, then we have a change. What I'm coming to you with is information that came to us, whether it is correct or incorrect, it is that in the area of Pennsylvania, many of these farms are producing eggs that are fertilized whether they're producing them for sale to you in, in, the little, in the little containers that you have, you know, the the, the eggs, 12 dozen eggs. Um, I don't know. Uh, the concern is yes. Could be. That's only for the special brand called fertilized eggs, which they sell to specific kind of people. But the stuff is being handled there. And in, in a lot in, in Pennsylvania. So the problem is that I live in Lakewood now, and they say that in Lakewood, m- most of the eggs are coming from Pennsylvania. So if the most of the eggs are coming from Pennsylvania, then it means if we see a bloodstrupping egg, we have to really treat it like the din of bloodstrupping. Now how far that goes, it could go to the extent of saying that if you took out an egg with a spoon and you open it up a black, I mean a hard-boiled egg, you took it and took it out with a spoon, and then that spoon has to be koshered. My rebbe taught you don't have to kosher it. You put it aside, even if you see the blood bloodstropping inside. You do, just to put the tri- put the fork or uh, the spoon away. Don't use it for twenty four hours. But he kept saying to me, but you don't have to kosher it because that's how far it was in those days. Today it may have changed. That's the question, at least as far as um, as far as Pennsylvania goes, and maybe as far as Lakewood goes. Whether it affects New York, I don't know. I found out that many of the companies in Pennsylvania are selling different places of the country. And yeah, there is an issue here. Not that you shouldn't use those eggs. Use them as good as the other ones, maybe better. But know that if you find a blood in it, it may really be blood. In which case, some halachas will change, a number of them. Um, Mentioned, and you know, some people got away from the idea of doing three eggs at once. Maybe had to go. Maybe had to go back it, and, and and cook three eggs at once. Maybe we we cool off the eggs when, with cold water before we take them out. Maybe you got to go back there again. Um, you know, so this is this is a whole set of laws that some people have been practicing all these years, and some people let go, and maybe at least this time um, you have to reinstitute those uh, minhagim and halachas as far as people who are affected by Pennsylvania. We don't know that if it's further than Pennsylvania, and I cannot corroborate this 100%. My initial information is very limited. So you don't have to take it seriously if you want to. It's not going to change anything you do. It just might change the halacha when you see a, a blood spot, whether it's really considerate blood or not. You can speak to your own Rav about it. Again, I don't have enough information to help you. But I will share with you a little bit about um, some facts that I learned about eggs. Some do say that, they, you know, because of the, everything that we're putting in, uh, you're not getting those eggs. I, again, uh, this is uh, open to discussion, and it's beyond the scope of what I'm, what I'm doing here. Let's just share with you a little bit... Um, this is an article, it's a 10 facts about fertile chicken eggs. And it claims that su- supermarket eggs, what you are buying, are not fertile. Not even free-range or organic eggs are fertile. Commercially produced eggs are laid by chickens who are either in cages, barns, and pastures. They have never have any access to uh, a rooster. So um, that's the, the basic claim. Uh, again, as I said, in Pennsylvania... It seems that the situation has changed somewhat, whether it's as bad as some people are saying or it isn't. I'll try to find out more, but as far as all of us are concerned, there is an increased chishash that our eggs may be actually fertilized. So I have two minutes. I just want to share with you a thought or two about the whole situation, again, in Poland. Poland, as you know... uh, is assering, wants to asser, and by 2025 they're supposed to put through a ban on Shrita. And this effort, even though they, they will lose, by banning Shrita and Halal, they could lose $1.7 billion each year, which is 5% of their total exports of agri-food. It's crazy. But this is what's being done because the people want that power, Those who, the people who left these who want that power, they want to push their agenda, and that's what is happening there in Poland um, the, you see the the question is until now the EU was defending Srita, and now which is what happened a week ago uh, that they turned on us, and we don't know if they're going to back us shrita at all and therefore when this thing turns around in Poland or in other countries the law then may go discriminatory against the Jewish people so that's a little bit what's happening I don't want to spend any more time on it uh, our time is really up anyway so let me remind everybody that you were listening to Kashmas on the Air uh, your weekly radio show on kosher issues I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And if you'd like to reach us for some reason during the week, uh, you can reach us at 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And uh, if you'd like to get the Kashrus Magazine, the Kosher Supervision Guide, the Kosher Travel Guide, uh If you're interested in any particular issue um, that that we produce, if you'd like to get a subscription, let us know. And uh, until next week, this is Rabbi Yosef Wickler wishing you a wonderful week.